Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let me tell you what I love when we're hunting for stories to bring to you guys. We love it when we find a hugely successful person who's made his or her money in an industry that their friends and family never would have thought was a match for that person. And boy, did I find a good one for you today. He grew up in New York, Long Island specifically, the son of parents who not only didn't go to college, they didn't graduate high school. The only way he could afford to become the first in his family to go to university was by landing a scholarship to play baseball because he was a star pitcher. But he also ended up playing golf at university so this is the same season. How he ever even graduated because he, you know, was so much time used up to even just to go to classes. I don't know. We're going to find out. How does a two-sport kid who lived and breathed sports end up in the fashion world with a huge job at Ralph Lauren and eventually gets named CEO of the wildly popular jewelry company Kendra Scott? What a fascinating road Tom Nolan has traveled down, one with lots of dead ends, uncomfortable U-turns, and yes, a pot of gold at one very special fork in the road. We've temporarily yanked him out of the driver's seat on that road of his inspiring life to tell you guys how he did it. Tom Nolan, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. You oh. made me sound much better than I think I am, so I'll keep, keep going. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I'll promote you. No problem. It doesn't matter. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because I love your story. Wait, so you played both baseball and golf at Fordham University in New York? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you do that plus your classes and graduate <laughs> even without straight Fs? Well, I'm, I'm glad in your intro you didn't mention that I was a great student or anything because that would have been, a, <laughs> been an absolute lie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think like most things in life, uh, you just kind of, you just kind of do it. You just deal with it and you, and I just, I just did it. I don't know. I didn't think too much about it in hindsight. It's, I guess it, it wasn't that easy, but I, I, in fairness, I was not a great student. I'm not super proud of the grades that I got in college, but, uh, glad I got through it. Well, did it teach you, I guess, to, to micromanage or your own schedule and figure out how to make sure that things didn't fall through the cracks, you showed up for class and you showed up for these events and these games? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I when I get the opportunity, the privilege, I should say, to, to talk to young younger people today in college mm-hmm. or even employees, I spend a lot of time talking about the currency of time. I think it's the most important asset and currency that you have because you can't make more of it. Um. And time management is really important in any job that you're in, no matter no matter what or, or any any level of success. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think it it gave me without again, I wasn't it wasn't purposeful probably at the time. I do it very purposefully now, but it, you had to have be good at time management, otherwise you just you know, chewed you up and spit you out. Well, it probably laid the foundation for what you're able to do today. I would imagine. Let's talk about growing up on Long Island. So, neither of your parents graduated high school. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. 
Tell me about growing up with them. What, did they work? What was their profession? What kind of struggles did they and you have? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, neither one of my parents graduated from high school. My uh, my dad worked for the Long Island Railroad. I uh, dropped out of high school, I think, when he was in the junior year, joined the, joined the Navy. Um, and when he got out, just became an electrician, you know, got his GED, which I'm super proud of him for doing, mm. but um, became an electrician, wound up landing a job at the Long Island Railroad, and he worked on the third rail. And the third rail, if you're not a railroad expert, is the thing that provides power to the uh, electric trains. And it is certainly not a glamorous job. And, you know, he's an, an amazing hard worker and a, a pretty incredible man. Um, it's and a dangerous side- job. It's super dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it's not definitely not one that I think most normal people would want to sign up for. Uh, a lot of, you know, you're outside all the time, super dangerous. And he did side jobs as well to make help, you know, the family make ends meet. And then my mom had all sorts of strange jobs too. I mean, she, she stayed at home with my sister and I, uh, when we were younger, but then she wound up having, you know, we had a hot, she had a hot dog truck when I was a kid and a good humor ice cream route. She actually, ironically, even my dad got his, went up selling GEDs, which I didn't even think was a, a, thing. a vocation that you were allowed to have. <laughs> but she, it turns out she she was the entrepreneur and kind of hustler in the family. And my dad was really just a, you know, really hardworking guy who struggled with alcoholism uh, that I, you know, watched as a kid, which was hard, but, uh, you know, it did the best that he could do and provided, a fa- you know, a life for our family. Well, the work ethic as an example, I can only imagine really through osmosis went right into your cellular makeup, right? Yeah. You know, I think when you're a kid, it's funny. I heard Tom Brady uh, talk about this recently about how, you know, growing up with adversity or not being as talented as some other people creates an engine inside of you that where you just have to outwork others. And it's just, there's, you know, it's never enough. Whereas if you're a you know, the most talented or the smartest or the best athlete, you know, things come easier to you and you don't get to exercise that muscle on it. By the time you need to exercise it, sometimes it's too late. So, you know, I think, I think the work ethic for sure. I mean, I knew early on that I, you know, I wasn't going to be the most talented athlete. I wasn't going to be the smartest person in a room now, my, my business career. But I, I also knew that there wasn't a single person that was ever going to outwork me in life. And it's, it served me really well. You know, it served me well in sports. It's serving me, has served me and is continuing to serve me well in business. And, and I, I'd like to think I have four kids. It's, you know, it's one of the things I'd like to pass down and impart on them is, is work ethic. And, you know, you get out of life what you put into it. So, Well, isn't it amazing that you don't have to be the best? You don't have to be the most famous. You just have to hang on the longest and work the hardest. Yeah. I mean, I think if, you know, too many people give up too soon, mm. uh, but I do think that that's true in the end. I think a lot of people kind of get right to the precipice of things sometimes and it gets tough and they just, they, they give up. But I think if you, if you persevere and you work hard and you have just a little bit of intelligence and a little bit of ability to problem solve and ask thoughtful questions and, and, and be a good person. I think, you know, the company I work at now proves that in spades about, you know, how important it is to give back and be a good person. But if you do those things, I, I don't think it's that hard to be successful. I think it's hard work, but I think anybody can accomplish anything. And again, I, I love having the privilege to be able to talk to people and younger people in school and even our employees and always talk about, look, if I, if I could, if I'm successful, if people were to d- d- determine that I would be successful, whether I think I am or not, 
it's it's only been because of hard work and determination. And if I can do it, then I mean, surely anybody can. Well, and, this is important because this is what our listeners tune in for, to hear that you don't have to have been born lucky, right? They always say, or certainly my dad used to say, because we grew up comfortable in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. He was the one who had fought so hard as a poverty-stricken kid growing up in Canada during the Depression. He became a surgeon, but he used to say, I gave you kids every advantage except mm -hmm. disadvantage. A hundred percent. I was just going to say, as you were telling that story, I think, you know, when you grow up in privilege, sometimes it's actually a disadvantage for success individually because you just, you, again, it's the same thing that Tom Brady talked about, about exercising that muscle. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I always, it's, I always it's, tell my kids, go the extra mile. It's rarely crowded there. And that's how you get the <laughs> attention of other people. A hundred percent. As you're on your way up, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, just the, 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 there's so many intangible things that go along with that, Liz, of, you know, having courage to ask questions. I mean, if you got nothing to lose, you're not afraid of, of losing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember early on in my career, I would I would work alongside people and, you know, we'd have accounts. I worked at Ziff Davis. I was I sold ads in the back of a magazine, my first job out of college. And, you know, everybody else was calling the person that would be the one place in the ads. I'm like, well, I'm just going to call the CEO of the company. And it didn't matter to me if it was American Airlines or Exxon or IBM or whatever. I mean, like, who cares? And I would, and the craziest thing happened when I had the courage to do it. Cause, and honestly, it was just dumb luck. I didn't know any better, but I'm <laughs> like, well, why wouldn't you just go to the top? Those people always called back because everybody else was too scared to call them. And what's crazy about that kind of fast forward all these years now, you know, again, if I'm talking, I gave a talk recently at uh, the University of Texas. Kendra has a women's entrepreneurial institute there. And, mm. and I, and I do it several times a year. And I'll always start out and say, look, here's my email address. Here's my cell phone number. And there'll be, you know, 60 people in the room and I'll say five of you will reach out to me. And if it was me, if I was sitting in that room and, and somebody that held my title came in and talked to me and they gave oh, yeah. my, I, I mean, I, I, that they'd have to change their telephone number. I'd call them so much till I got what I needed or wanted. And sure enough, every time Liz, five people reach out to me and I always get back to them and I've mentored them and I, we actually just hired one at the company recently. Oh, no way. Like, that yeah, is so is cool. Mm -hmm. That but, is you know, so cool. I think it's it's just not that hard. It's just people need to sometimes just get off off your off your butt and do it. This is everyone talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, you were mentioned your first job out of college uh, working at Ziff Davis. I mean, not not the most glamorous job in the world, selling mm -hmm. back page ads. What mm -hmm. other odd jobs did you land? How many rejections did you face 
during oh. your climb. And then we got to get to how a guy like you who just adores sports ends up in the fashion world. <laughs> yeah. So I, I uh, when I got out of college, um, I didn't I never did an internship. I, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I knew I had fr- you know friends that did that. But I didn't have a network to have internships, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know I needed them. So I, I did all sorts of weird things. I worked for a guy named John Sparagano. He had a roofing company. I did side jobs with my dad. I, I worked construction. I bust tables. I caddied. You know, I did all sorts of weird things. None of it amounted to anything for my business career. So when I got out of college, you know, the only thing I had basically was a piece of paper that said I graduated. Um, and so it turns out when you go to try to find a job in the real world. It's not easy to get a job when you have no experience when you want a real job, that is. Turns out, so I, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I interviewed for very strange things. I mean, I had one one interview where door to, this was a thing in 1999. I mean, door-to-door Bible salesman. I tried that. I didn't get that job. I'm like, I don't know who got the job didn't over didn't get me, that job? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get the door-to-door Bible salesman <laughs> job. And uh, anyway, so I, I finally, I was going through the classified ads, um, which, you know, they had back then. And, and I found this job at Ziff Davis and it was to sell classified ads in the back of PC Magazine and uh, PC Computing. And I went in and I interviewed with a guy named Jason Sparks to sell ads in the back of the magazine. And it, this, he, without even realizing it changed my life, uh, we get in the interview and I'm a, you know, 22 year old idiot kid. And, <laughs> um, and I sit down with him and he says, tell me what your goals are. And I gave him some nonsensical answer, was, you know, like I wanted, to, I want to get this job and I want to make a money. And I said something stupid and he threw me out of his office. He said, get out of my office. I don't want to hire somebody that doesn't know where they're going. Now, again, this is a, this is a $15,000 a year job. Like this was not a big job. This was selling classified ads. And Jason was like way ahead of where he needed to be. Mm. Threw me out of his office. He wanted somebody that knew where they were going. And I, so I'm walking halfway down the the aisle to get to the elevator bank. And I was like, man, if I go home, I'm going to be an electrician and nothing against being an electrician. My dad, you know, I, I respect the heck out of him for the hard work that he did, but I did not want to be an electrician. Okay. So I went back to Jason's office. I said, listen, if I come back tomorrow morning, I'll be your first thing in the morning. And I go really think about what my goals are and they're good enough for you. Can I have this job? And he said, sure, you know, get out of here. He had no, <laughs> I, sure. He thought I wasn't going to come back. Anyway, I went home um, and I stayed up all night and I wrote down my goals for 10 years. You know, it was, Things like, you know, the person I wanted to marry, the job I wanted to have, the money I wanted to make, the house I wanted to live in, the car I wanted to drive, you name it. Ten, year, ten years worth of personal and professional goals. Go back the next day, get, get the job. Um, nice. And the, the one thing I learned as if, which was really important, was it was that whole work ethic thing that we talked about a little bit earlier. I worked in this bullpen. And it was basically a call when we had a scoreboard, which really resonated with me. It was a scoreboard. I just made the analogy of sports. And I'm sure. Like, oh, I, I can do this. And it was, you know, all of my peers were doing 20 phone calls a day and, and they'd leave, you know, they'd go out to the bar, they'd go out to dinner and do whatever they were doing. I was like, well, I, look, I don't need, I don't want this job forever. I don't need to be friends with these people forever. I, I'm going to make a hundred phone calls a day. And I did it. And a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened was everybody I worked with started to hate me <laughs> um, because I was, I was, you know, they thought brown nosing or whatever. And then, you know, two other things happened. Uh, everybody I worked for, all the executives in the company, because it was a big scoreboard that was public. Everybody started paying attention and knowing who I was and my business like my, went through the roof. And it just became to me, I was like, okay, I can do this. This is just output. So uh, it kind of launched my career and the methodology, which I've taken today. But then fast forward 10 years, my wife and I were moving from one house into another. And uh, I found that piece of paper where I had my goals. And I did 
I mean, Liz, every single one of them. And my first reaction was I was pissed because I was like, man, like I should have made these better. Right. You you aim too low, right? I aim too low. Um, So, but I I did it all and it was a great lesson for me. And I do it today, you know, 10 years is a long window. So now I do it in five-year increments. I do it every year, one-year increments. I do too. And yeah, it it served me really well. And I think when you write something down on paper, it makes it real and it gives you something to strive for. And then it also makes every decision that you make purposeful. Um, and it's, it's, it served me really well and worked, worked nicely. And I'm thankful to, for Jason, you know, I don't know where he is today, but I mean, he really, he changed my life without even realizing it. Well, everybody listening has to open their ears and their eyes and their brain to those messages and to those moments, those critical moments that crystallize, are you going to stand up? Or are you going to crawl away? And that feels like it was really one of those once-in-a-lifetime moments that you just seized. So how did we get to fashion? <laughs> I I worked for a guy uh, later on in my career who talked about 2% moments and how important it is to recognize when something purposeful and meaningful is happening in your life and then doing something about it. Wait, well, wh- wait what's a 2% moment? Explain so, that. So a 2% moment, I worked for a guy, and I'll get to this in, as my career journey uh, at Condé Nast, a guy named Mitch Fox, who taught me a ton of lessons as well. And he just said, you got to recognize 2% moments when they happen. And I had the same question that you had. is like, okay, what does that mean? What is a 2% moment? And he said, 2% moments are things that happen only 2% of the time, right? So 98% of the time, just, you know, life is happening. 2% of, of the time, like something special is happening. And the people that are, I think are have the ability to recognize when they're happening oh. and do something about it. It, it, it sets a course in their life. That's different, like a material different course in their life. And I, I've been lucky enough. I had, I was lucky enough. Number one, to have somebody tell me that and then also recognize them. Right. And then not have the, you know, I wasn't afraid of failing. I have never been afraid of failing. I just kind of try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does, then, you know, great. But I've had a couple of 2% moments happen in my life. And, um, one of them was an opportunity to go work at Condé Nast. So I left Zip Davis. I got a random phone call from a recruiter um, about joining uh, Condé Nast. And I went Which up is going a to publisher, work at, for those of you who don't know what that yep. is. Sorry, magazine publisher. It publishes a, a lot of amazing brands like Vogue and Vanity Fair, GQ, <laughs> yeah. Art Digest. And I became uh, a magazine publisher at 26 years old, which was the youngest at the time in the history of the company for a magazine called Golf World Magazine, which was amazing because uh-huh. it was my my passion. Right. You know, I, like I told you, I played golf and I'm a passionate golfer. And it was great to do something that I was passionate about, but I was so young. Um, I, you know, I, I learned another really valuable lesson there of, you know, I had to lead by example. I felt like, you know, every room I walked into, everybody was older than me. All of my peers were older than me. All of the people that worked for me were older than me. And, you know, I, I made a decision to not pontificate and try to pretend like I knew everything. In fact, I did the opposite. I acted like I had a lot, a lot to learn. And I asked people questions and led by example versus, you know, sitting there and telling everybody what to do. And that, that served me really well. And then, so that was kind of my first kind of tip, you know, t- dip your toe in the water of fashion. Cause I was around these amazing fashion businesses and impressive people like Remnick and Anna Wintour and these editors and Vanity Fair and Vogue and the, the fashion business, but I wasn't really in it in the golf space. Mm-hmm. And then uh, through golf, I randomly uh, played one day with a guy named Roger Farah, who was at the time the president and COO of Ralph Lauren. And uh, 
and him and then the, another guy named Mitch Kosh, who was the head of HR for Ralph Lauren. And, and we had a great day and I followed up with him like I always do. I like to write people handwritten thank you notes, which do you still I, do that like, handwritten? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. So I do I. A lot I of think money it's important. Yeah. <laughs> it re- because, I mean, you can probably count on your hand the number of handwritten thank you notes you get in a year. Yep. Um, and people remember little things. And it also shows, you know, if you take enough time to, and you care enough about somebody to do that, it's thoughtful enough and it stands out. So anyway, did that with Roger and Mitch and, you know, got, got a phone call a couple months later from them saying, look, we're like for somebody to run our golf and tennis business. Would you be interested in, in joining? And I said, look, I don't know anything about the apparel industry. You know, Ralph Lauren to me was what the rich kids wore when I was a kid. Mm. And uh, but I love the brand. Anyway, I, I quit. I quit Condé Nast and I loved it. I had a great career in the publishing industry, but also kind of saw the writing on the wall, wall that, you know, magazines may not make it, you know, in the long term, but right. media always would. And went and went to went to Ralph and I ran their golf and tennis business and loved it. I, I learned the business from Roger, who I think is a genius um, and an amazing operator and still a mentor to my to me today and learned the brand from Ralph. I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with him and, you know, idolize him and what he created and the brand that he created and, you know, the company that he built and, you know, how familial it felt, even though it was a great big public, publicly traded conglomerate, it, it always felt like a family business. And so it was great. That was my first, you know, real foray right, into right. the fashion business. And I, and I, and I loved it. I was really thankful well, to be there, but it, that was a 2% moment to recognize, you know, okay. the, the time Roger. Okay. That I was going to say, give me an example. And that is one heck of an example, just that yep. encounter with those guys. And then the follow-up and then they're thinking, hmm, he's, this could be interesting. What did you learn about creating an amazing once-in-a-lifetime brand from Ralph Lauren? What did you learn from him? He's just incredible. Well, I mean, I, you know, look, he, we had similar backgrounds. I mean, that was the one thing that resonated with me was, you know, he his dad painted murals and, you know, inside apartment buildings in the Bronx, you know, and he it, to me it felt like wow look at what this this man has created a multi-billion dollar market cap company here and you know he came from nothing too like it gave me confidence that i could do things it made me want to scratch the itch of being an entrepreneur which i'll get to in a second but the other the, i'd say the most important thing i learned from him specifically as a person was we were coming back from lunch uh or something i can't remember what we were doing but we came back we get in the elevator and uh, there were these uh, two women that get in the elevator with us and they both said hi to him and they didn't know who I was and they, they shouldn't have. And then we get up to his office and we go into his office and we sit down and I could, he, he looked troubled, like something was bothering him. And I said, you know, what, what's the matter? Is, is everything okay? And he said, you know, it really bothers me that I don't know those women's names. Mm. And we had, I think at the time, 45,000 employees <laughs> and it, it would have been impossible for him to know everybody's name, of course, but it really bothered him that he didn't, because to, to him, it felt like a family business and to not know oh, the names okay. of every employee in some regard was, was it bothered him. And I thought that that was, that was probably the best lesson. So like, he's a human, he's a good human, he cares about people. And, and that, that resonated Indeed. with me a lot. And then you go from golf and tennis fashion. Uh, I'm sure there were a few, <laughs> a few points in the road between then and now you're at a jewelry company. Yeah, yeah. So that that so I, I left Ralph and started a holding company called Prospect Brands with a private equity partner, <laughs> and I named it that because I grew up on Prospect Place and we bought distressed assets. Um, and I learned a lot. I mean, I'd never been a CEO before. This was my first time being a CEO. I wanted to do my own thing. I moved my family down to Greensboro, North Carolina, and we we started this business. And it, I mean, honestly, Liz, it was 
it was more of a failure than a success. We had one brand and <laughs> specifically that was a, like a, just a disaster. Um, and, and I learned a lot of lessons. We probably should have flushed it through bankruptcy, um, which would have been a, in hindsight, a better play, but you know, I got emotionally attached to it and we didn't, and it would have been a failure to me, which at the time I hadn't really failed and learned a lot of great lessons. But what, so we, we did that while I was there. Um, I went back to get my MBA at the University of North Carolina because I, I felt like, you know, a lot of my career, this might sound really weird and wrong, but a lot of my career was kind of predicated and been driven by spite in some regard, not in a bad way, but in a, I always had something to prove. Well, and, yeah, uh, that's not spite, though. I was just going to say, you, you don't yeah. mean spite. You mean like, mm, I've got to vindicate myself. I've got to show yeah. people. You just, you got to like, just, you know, everybody that said I couldn't do something. And, exactly. You know, so I, I went back and got my MBA for two reasons. One, because I wasn't as strong as I wanted to be from a financial perspective. And I needed to be sharper there to really understand the inner workings of a balance sheet and a P&L to be a good CEO. And I felt like I wasn't doing my job properly. And the second was, I always felt like, you know, when I'd have board meetings and, you know, talk to other people in the sector, I felt like the private equity guys kind of rubbed their, their MBAs in my face. And I, yeah, I was like, I don't like the way that feels. So uh, I went back and, and did it because I felt like it was just something I needed and wanted to have. Uh, so I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm glad I did it. And I did it, you know, all having a family and stuff. And it, it wasn't easy, but I'm glad I did it. But while I was there, I got a phone call from a private equity firm in California named Norwest venture partners, and they had just made a uh, an institutional investment in a jewelry company in Austin, Texas called Kendra Scott. And they, as a part of that investment, they had one outside director seat to name. And I don't even know how they found me. I had I'd never been on a board before. I had mm. never worked in the accessories business before. And uh, they called, I flew out to Austin. I met with the PE folks and I met with Kendra. And at the time the company was doing $40 million in revenue and had an enterprise value of around a hundred million dollars. And, uh, joined the board and it was great. I learned a ton. And then two and a half, three years later, we got a uh, another private equity partner to come in that pegged a valuation on the business at north of a billion dollars. And at that point, I joined the organization full-time in an operating capacity uh, as chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer, then became president and CEO. So it's been, oh. it's been almost seven years now and the company's so proud of what we've done as an organization and, you know, what Kendra's built and how we've done it. Well, don't you think it's really important for people? And that's why this project here, this part of my life, which is doing this podcast, is so important to me. Not enough people understand this isn't supposed to be fast. It isn't supposed to always feel good. You're supposed to stumble. You are supposed to fall, and then you're supposed to get up. So once you understand that, then you're like, oh, that happened. I was told that would happen. This takes a long time. Yeah. You don't learn in winning. You gain confidence in winning. You learn from losing. Um, and I think the combination of both is really powerful. Uh, so it certainly served, it certainly served me well over the years. And, uh, it's, you know, it's been, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And again, I think that the, the ability to, to overcome challenging situations and persevere and, is is critical for any anybody and i think you know the the one thing if i was uh, just say i think it's important for people that have an interest in listening to this i've i've always done things i didn't know anything about you know and i, I didn't never would have thought i'd work at a jewelry business i never would have thought i'd be in the fashion business like the people that i grew up with wouldn't couldn't even possibly understand what i do right it doesn't even make my dad still doesn't understand what i do <laughs> and i <laughs> but i think 
I think that the, you know, the, the, the beauty in that is I, I never acted like I knew everything. Right. I would go into situations and ask a lot of questions. Right. And I like to learn and I, and I think it's okay to be curious and it's okay to be vulnerable. And one of the best lessons I've learned at Kendra Scott, especially the way I grew up, I grew up in a very hard household as I described. And it was, um, you know, I think working, working for a company that is, you know, today our, our business has, you know, 3000 amazing employees and it were 95% female. And I think what I've learned here more than anywhere else is that it's the importance of kindness and compassion and how, you know, you can do all these things. And I think a lot of the times people do it and have a ruthlessness about them. And we we've done that. I am relentless. I mean, again, I told you, there's not a lot of people that work harder than me, but I, you know, I, we do it with kindness, compassion and heart and warmth and care. And it's okay to be vulnerable and show emotion in a thoughtful way. Uh, and I think it's th those are good ingredients, the EQ part of being a, a, a kind and thoughtful and selfless right. uh, servant leader. EQ, of course, emotional quotient, really important. Um, yeah. I, I find it really important to glean this message from what you've talked about. Managers and CEOs like you Look to hire people with active minds. This mm -hmm. goes back to asking a lot of questions. Uh, you know, if you're just sitting there like a bump on a log waiting to be told what to do and how to do it instead of saying, wait, wait, OK, so when we are faced with this challenge, how, we, how do you go about tackling that? That shows managers like you, wait a minute, this person's thinking, this person is anticipating, and that's precisely what I need in an employee. 100%. I mean, you want an army of people like that. I mean, just people that can pick the ball up and want it, and want it and want to run with it and are okay with, with dropping it sometimes. I think that's the other mistake that people make often is like, you know, when you can't be, you know, no one's going to be perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. I don't know anybody that is. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. I think it's owning those mistakes, learning from them and then getting, standing back up and doing it again. You know, that's that being relentless and dogged. And I, you know, I think I was fortunate to be you know, some semblance of an athlete at one point, because I think that the, the lessons you learn and being a competitor and work ethic and what you put into it, you get out of it. Like those are great life lessons and it serves you really well in, in business and in life. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we will be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. I have one question because I'm a jewelry girl. Mm -hmm. How do you get more people 
So you're at, I would imagine now, more than a billion-dollar valuation. At a time when the economy may be slowing down a bit and people are watching their spending much more closely, how are you planning on getting people to continue buying jewelry? Yeah. I mean, look, the, the reality is nobody needs what we sell, right? I mean, you can live your life very happily and not buy a single thing oh, not from me. our business. I need, I need. It's not a matter of wanting. Good. It's a matter of That's needing perfect. jewelry. Well, really, all we need to do is just find more people like Liz. Um, so just we'll hang, when we get off the call, I, I want to follow up. I'll get all your friends and family and we'll, just, we'll start there. You solved it for us. We don't even have to do anything. No, but I think I think the, the the beauty the beauty of our business is you know Kendra started this business 21 years ago and philanthropy is really rooted in what we do and retail is at the center of what we do. We have 134 retail stores now and every one of them is an event center. We did more than 20,000 events last year. We will eclipse that this year, and people feel connected to our brand because every event that we've done, everything we do is tied to philanthropy. Like nice. it's about a cause. We want to help people. Mm. In addition to that, subjectively, I think we make the most beautiful things, but we also have a really high value proposition. You know, Kendra started this business because the jewelry experience in 2001 was terrible. And by the way, it's not that much better today. You walk into most jewelry stores and it's, you know, everything's under case. People are wearing gloves. It's very judgmental. Um, she saw a bunch of white space out there and that creating an environment where people felt welcomed and warm and happy and fun and they could try things on and everything was top of counter and you were offered a glass of champagne or a beer or wine or water when you walked in. And that combination of a great product, a very high value proposition, a give back in a community and a connection to people leads our business to have been really successful. Our NPS scores, which monitors, you know, how high and willing people are to recommend to others is off the charts, like materially higher than companies like Apple. Mm. It's because of the connection that we have. And, you know, and jewelry also, people buy jewelry. It's a very emotional thing. I mean, a lot of it is gifting. So like you remember when somebody gets you something, you remember when you buy something for yourself from a jewelry perspective, more than, you know, a piece of clothing or oh, other, yes. other stuff. Every so it, piece a, I remember. For sure. Yeah. And and so I think we're in a good sector for that. And we've navigated, we navigate good and bad economies, I think better than most because of the value proposition. Yeah, the but price point. Yeah. But more importantly, because of the connection we make with the customers. I mean, they, they, they see us as something greater than you know, an earring or a necklace or a ring or a bracelet. It's, it's, it, it has an impact in their life. And I've heard so many customer stories, Liz, about, you know, I mean, we spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time in our stores. I work in our distribution center. All, I expect all of our employees to do the same thing. And when you talk to customers, these amazing stories come out about how, you know, I, there, there was a family, um, the Deruin family, which is really a tragic story. Actually, somebody you, I could connect you with, you should think about having them on your show because hmm. the, 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 the overcoming adversity is remarkable. It was, you know, this family, it was four kids and their mom were driving back from a holiday party, December 17th of uh, 2021. And the car got hit by a drunk driver and three of her four children died. Oh, and um, it's tra tragic. I mean, I have four kids and I can't imagine, no, uh, and no. I know you have children and it's, it's unimaginable to lose a child. So I think, uh, you know, I, one of the, one of the daughters was gifted from her best friend, Christian and Elisa necklace, which is a our most popular necklace it's been in the line for almost 20 years and it was it was pink and she wore it with everything day night events anything she did it was like her most cherished possession and again this was a 60 dollars necklace right 
Um, but it was the thing she cared most about what people remembered her by. And I found out about this family because on social media, uh, there was a post that her sister Katie did that showed her, the, the sister who passed away or her, her tombstone. And they, they put, they encased the Elisa necklace on her tombstone oh my and God. it was, you know, heartwarming. I immediately got a hold of the family and talked to Katie and I talked to her mom and, you know, we've done a ton of stuff for the family in our Baton Rouge store, but that connection is what I'm talking about. And that's oh why through good and bad economies, brands like ours do well. And I think if you have a heart and you recognize, and I, you know, I, I lost, I had one sibling who I lost 13 years ago to a brain aneurysm. Like you, if you, if you understand like what, what, how impactful moments in life are to people, and then you can tie a brand yeah. to it in, in a non-selfish way, in an actual authentic, thoughtful way where you, we do genuinely want to help people. It, 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 it works. And we've, proven that point for two decades now and you know we'll keep doing it in the future you have proven such an important point here about not just climbing to success but doing it the right way doing it mm -hmm. with heart and compassion stick to itiveness and relentlessness not ruthlessness but relentlessness thank you so much for telling your story tom you're amazing i love <laughs> this Thanks, Liz. It's been a, it's been a, uh, I'm humbled to be on your show. It's been a, been an actual, my privilege and pleasure. Oh, I, you guys, was I right? Was I right? I mean, how does a guy who plays baseball and golf make that move, climb that strange ladder that isn't straight up, right? It's got zigs and it's got zags. And then, you know, you put your foot on one of the rungs and it breaks and you fall down a couple of rungs. That's what I hope that you absorb from these stories and, and Tom is just perfect for this. I'm so glad he was able to join us. And as always, I cannot thank you guys enough for taking the time, because it does take time, but I, I hope it's worth it to you. I hope that, that you have great success stories of your own, and part of them is driven by the engine of this podcast. So thanks. I will see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. You better wave to the TV. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.